So Luke chapter 1 from verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and would be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, let's ask for God's help and then look at his word. Dear Father God, you told the shepherds and you told Mary not to be afraid when the angels were speaking to them. And Father, I thank you that we could come and listen to you now. I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of what your word might hold for us. But I pray also that we would be, have an appropriate fear in our hearts. That we would know that this is the word of God and that you are speaking to us this evening. And please, come and speak to each of us. I pray that no one here would go away. No one listening online would uh, log off without having heard something from your word communicated directly to their hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last week, one of my very good friends at work had a baby. And we've already talked today about how someone in our church is going to have a baby, might have a baby tomorrow. How's that, a Christmas baby? Both of my friends are Christians, and interestingly, both of them thought their baby days were over long ago. I don't think either of them were planning to get back to baby grows and nappies and dummies and all those kinds of things. But God had other ideas. Well, mentioned in the passage I've just read are another two very remarkable births. The first one is to Elizabeth. That was only mentioned in the passage here, but you might know the story. That's John the Baptist's mum. And not only was she very, very old, but even when she was younger, she hadn't managed to have any children. So she was someone who couldn't have children. This is sadly the case for some women, that they can't have children. She'd gone all of her life wishing she could have children and not being able to. And so now she was really old. She might have had a stick. She probably had wrinkly skin. 
She probably had pain in her back and was a bit hunched over. And suddenly an angel had come to, to her husband and her belly started to grow. And there was a baby inside. Babies take nine months. And by this point, she was six months gone, so she'd had reasonably big bump. The second remarkable birth was the birth of Jesus. And this is even more remarkable. Mary was a young woman, but she wasn't married. She was a virgin. She'd never slept with anyone. And that means you can't have a baby. And yet the angel came to her, and her belly started to grow as well. And nine months later, out came Jesus. So why does the story of Jesus start with something so remarkable? I was listening to two people talking about the Bible, and neither of them were Christians, and I was listening a few months ago. And they said, you know, when you read the Bible, they said, look at Luke, he says, he's a very good historian, he's very good at telling us about Jesus. But the first two chapters, you just have to basically ignore. He said, they're just a fairy story. And then you get on to Luke chapter 3, and then we start to be in normal history. And we learn about this man, Jesus, who went around and taught people and did different things and was viewed as a healer. That's what they said. So effectively, they want to go along with the pen and, and cross it out. Now, obviously, it doesn't stop there, does it? Because then you find Jesus walking on water. You'd have to cross that bit out, wouldn't you? Jesus turning water into wine. Cross that out. Jesus healing people. That's got to go. But actually, they said, this is just a fairy story. The whole of the beginning of Luke. But if you're coming here today as someone who's not a Christian, maybe you're trying to get your head around, maybe you're interested in Christianity, but you haven't quite worked it out, this this might be a bit too much to take on. You might think, why can't we just have something believable? I'm attracted to Jesus. I'm attracted to his teaching. I think he was a good guy. Some people think Jesus was a prophet. They think he was a good man sent by God with teaching. So why do we have to have this nonsense about a virgin birth and a star in the sky and angels and glory? Why can't we just have a straightforward start to his life, a normal birth, and then Jesus comes? This sounds more like a fairy tale, you might say. Well, what I want to do this evening is just look at three reasons why it's so important that Jesus was born to a virgin. Why that idea that Mary wasn't married, hadn't slept with him, why that's so important for us, for understanding who Jesus is and understanding what it means for us. The first of those reasons I've called history. Jesus' birth doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen from nowhere. If you look at the Bible, where we're reading is at least three quarters of the way through. It's towards the end, in some ways, of the Bible story, Jesus coming. And if you read from the beginning, you'll start to see why it's so important that Jesus' mother couldn't, in the normal sense, have children. There's already been some mentions in what we looked about David and about Jacob. But actually, if you read through the Old Testament, women who can't have children keeps popping up. Now, children, if I started, if I stood up here and said, once upon a time there was a, what sort of story am I going to tell? Fairy story, yeah. Might be something about a princess or a dragon or a castle or something like that. That's how fairy stories start, isn't it? If you've been reading through the Bible... And you hear there was a woman who couldn't have children. What do you think is going to come next? God's going to do something really important. 
It's a sign that God's going to do something really important. There's a few through the Old Testament, women who couldn't have children. But let me tell you about the two most important ones. There was a woman called Sarah. And her husband was Abraham. And Abraham had been promised that he'd have as many children as there were stars in the sky. And yet he didn't have a single child. And he got to the age of 99 years old. And his wife was 90 years old and hadn't had a child. So she was really bent over. She'd have been really old. She should probably have been a great-grandmother by that stage. And she hadn't been able to have a single child. And yet God came. And actually it was a visit of an angel, exactly the same as happened with Mary and with Elizabeth. An angel came and said, you'll have children. And Sarah couldn't even believe it. She laughed. She said, that's nonsense. That doesn't happen. And yet a year later, there was a baby. It was a baby Isaac the child of the promise, from whom all of God's promises were going to come out through Isaac, through a child from Abraham and his wife Sarah. So when you hear a woman who can't have children, something really important is going to happen. I'll tell you about another woman who couldn't have children. This was Hannah. She was married to a man called Elkanah. Now he had another wife, and she just kept on having children. Can you imagine how painful that was to Hannah? It was kind of telling her that the problem's not with her husband, the problem's with her. Husband can have children with another woman, but she can't have any children. And she was crying out to God, praying passionately to God that he would give her a child. And God heard and gave her a baby. And the baby was called Samuel. And Samuel goes on to be one of the greatest of the prophets and is the one who anoints the kings of Israel. Never before had Israel had a king human king anyway but he anoints Saul and he anoints David the greatest king of Israel comes through this woman who can't have children and when Hannah was living it was a time of great desperation for the people time of the judges there was no one to lead the people and the people needed someone to lead them and deliver them and protect them so God provides this miracle baby Samuel who crowns the kings who would lead God's people So this idea of women who can't have children keeps popping up through the Old Testament. It pops up in Isaiah. Robbie talked about Isaiah. And there it says, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son. A virgin, someone who's never been married, never slept with anyone, and they're going to have a baby. And that's going to be God's deliverance. And now, if you were reading from the beginning of the Bible, and you'd have that in your mind, and you've been reading through, you've read about Sarah, you've read about Hannah, you've read this prophecy in Isaiah, and then you get here, and now you've got two in one chapter. Two women who can't have children, and both are miraculously pregnant in the same chapter. What is it saying? It's saying, listen up, listen up, something really important is going to happen. God's starting the next chapter in the history of his plan. And it's a plan that goes all the way back, as Grace and Jesse reminded us, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. This plan to save the world. And Abraham was a huge turning point and his wife couldn't have a baby. And the kings were a great turning point through a a woman who couldn't have a baby. And now we've got two women who can't have babies. And both of them are pregnant. And God is saying, listen up. This is the next stage of the plan. This is God sending his son to save the world. So number one is history. 
Number two is impossibility. Having a baby when you're like Hannah and you haven't been able to for a long time, that's very, very implausible. Yeah? Some people try and try and try and try and then suddenly they get pregnant. That does happen. That's what happened with Hannah. So it's not quite impossible, is it? It's very, very unlikely. When you're really, really, really old and you have a baby, like Sarah having baby in 90, that is, I've never heard of that happening. But it's not, maybe it's not technically impossible, I don't know. It's a clearly a very weird and strange thing, virtually impossible. But when you're a virgin, when you've never slept with anyone, that is medically, physically, genetically, biologically, scientifically, historically impossible. It's totally impossible. You can't make a baby without a dad. And Mary didn't have a husband, never slept with anyone. Mary, in this chapter, is not stupid. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Some people think when they read the Bible that the people who wrote it were stupid. That, oh, they're just writing about a virgin having a baby and they were stupid in those days, so they thought this happened. These people weren't stupid. Mary wasn't stupid. She knew she couldn't be pregnant. The answer as to why this was happening comes a bit later. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that's how Mary is pregnant. It's by a direct working of God in her body to put that baby there. I don't know how that works scientifically, but it was a direct work of God. And without the Holy Spirit and without the power of the Almighty... There is no pregnancy. So this is God stepping into the universe and bending the laws of science or whatever he did to make this happen. This is a miracle. And that continues in verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. This is an impossibility, but actually it's not an impossibility. What do you do if you've got a medical problem? Who do you go to if a bit of your body hurts? You go to a doctor, yeah, exactly. Hopefully they'll be able to help you if you can get an appointment with one. Who do you go to if you've got money problems? If you've got loads of bills coming in and you're so confused and the tax people keep sending you things and you're all muddled up and you don't know where your money is and all this kind of stuff, who do you go to? An accountant maybe or a bank, yeah. You might need an accountant yeah, to help you sort out all your bills and all your payments. Who do you go to if you're in trouble with the police and you've got to go to court and you're going to be on trial? Lawyer. Yeah, you need a lawyer, don't you? You need an expert to help you. Who do you go for with your problem with sin? The problem that you have in your heart that you've turned away from God, God's angry with you and you can't go to heaven. Who do you go to? Henry? Can Henry help you with that? Can Ed help you with that? only Jesus yeah good answer Jesse this is an impossible problem that's the point possible problems you know you've got a sore hip that's a possible problem you can get human help with that you can't work out your tax return that's a problem that someone can help you with you've got to go to court that's a possible problem there's answers to that and people can help you with that the problem we have with God is an impossible problem 
a problem we cannot solve. We cannot make ourselves perfect and we cannot pay for the sin we've already committed. This is an impossible problem. And so we need an impossible saviour. And that's why we've got this impossible thing here happens. Because we don't just need another guy. If Jesus just turned up, oh, there was this, this guy, Jesus, was walking around and we don't really know where he came from, but anyway, he came to teach us about God. Well, why would you listen to him? He can't help you. But if Jesus comes in as the son of God, if God is working in the world, doing this impossible miracle, then there's hope for us. There's hope that our impossible problem can be sorted out. In the, um, in the Marvel films, there's this thing called a tesseract. Um, I, don't, I don't fully understand the story behind it, but it's this sort of blue cube that glows, and it's got incredible power in it. And with this tesseract, you can control the whole universe because it's got so much power in this little thing. And obviously, that doesn't make sense. Even a nuclear power station, uranium hasn't got that much power in it to control the whole universe. But this tesseract has got so much power. Well, this little baby who was inside Mary's uh, womb, who was born and was lying there in the manger, this baby has got all the power of God at work in him and through him. And he can solve our impossible problem with sin. And the final thing I want to tell us about why this is so important that Jesus is born to the Virgin Mary is family. When babies are born, lots of people like to look at this baby and go, oh, he's got his mum's ears or his dad's nose or his auntie's mouth or whatever it is. I was going to ask the children here, who do you look more like? Do you look more like your mum or more like your dad? All right, hands up if you look more like your dad. One or two, yeah. Hands up if you think you look more like your mum. I think I look more like my mum, that's what people tell me. I don't know what people think. Anyway, I remember it was very disturbing when Robbie was born and I was holding Robbie. And Robbie, when he was a baby, looked just like my dad. It was really disturbing to see this little face looking up at me as I was trying to hold him. Well, here's a question. Who did Jesus look like? Who did the baby Jesus look like? Let me tell you. He looked a bit like his mum. He looked a bit like Mary. I don't know which bits of him looked like Mary. Maybe he had Mary's ears or Mary's nose. But he looked a bit like Mary. And actually, he looked a bit like you. And he looked a bit like me. In the book of Hebrews, it says, He was made like his brothers in every way. Jesus is born a human, and he's like my brother, and he's like your brother. That's who Jesus is. He looks like us. He had the same number of ears and eyes and noses and mouths, had the same number of arms. He had all the same problems. He, sometimes he was weak. Sometimes he was tired. Sometimes he got tempted to do bad things. Sometimes people died around him. He felt sad about that. He experienced everything, the same as we do. He was just like us. He was born into the human family. But who else did Jesus look like? He looked like his father. Now again, that's not about the shape of his ears or the colour of his eyes. Some people started to see the resemblance of Jesus to his father when he was only a baby. Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple. And there's these two elderly believers who rejoice 
that God sent the Saviour. And they see this baby and they realise what's going on, that God sent his deliverer. When he was 12, Jesus got taken to the temple. And all the clever people there, all the brain boxes, the professors, they couldn't believe that this 12-year-old knew so much. And Jesus says, well, I'm in my father's house. He looked like his father. He knew about his father's book. That's how he knew so much. As you read through the book of Luke, lots of people start recognizing that Jesus looks like his father. And some of them really don't like it. Jesus casts out a demon. And the demon shouts out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Terrified of Jesus, but they recognize who he is. The demons know before the people who Jesus is. Jesus gets into a fisherman's boat, a fisherman's called Peter. And he uses the boat to teach the people. And then he goes out fishing. And Peter says, there's no point fishing. There's no fish in the sea today. Jesus says, put the net out, pull it back in. And it's so full of fish, the boat nearly sinks. And Peter turns around and says, get away from me, Lord. Lord. Jesus has done something that doesn't make sense. And Peter starts to think, this is not a normal guy. This is not a normal man. Jesus is in a house and someone comes down from the roof in front of him. And Jesus says to the man, your your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are angry. Who can do that except God? Now, they don't know that Jesus is God, but they see the way he's behaving. He's behaving like he's God. You see, Jesus resembles his father. He doesn't have to ask permission. I could pray for someone. I could pray, oh, God, may my friend, please, would you forgive his sins? I can't forgive him his sins. I'm a person. Jesus can say to this person, your sins are forgiven. What about the disciples? When Jesus stands up and says to the winds and waves, stop! They do. And they say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus looks like his father. Do you remember that time when he goes up the mountain and suddenly his face starts to shine and light comes from him? It must have been very similar to what the the shepherds saw in the skies above Bethlehem. Jesus shining bright with the glory of God. And it's like, like just for a second they see Jesus as he truly is as the member of the family of God. Wow. Divine nature. The curtains pull back and we see who Jesus truly looks like, who he truly is. All of this is to say Jesus was in two families. He was in the family of God, if you like. He's the son of the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Jesus is fully God. But he's also fully us. And this point at Christmas is when he's born into the human family. Before Christmas, he wasn't a human. He was just God. At Christmas, he comes down and becomes flesh. He becomes one of us. He's born into our family. And he does that so that he can bring us into the family of God. It says Jesus was made human so that he could bring many sons to glory. We can join God's family because Jesus becomes at, joins our family and invites us to join his. Isn't that amazing? And he pays the price so that we can come to know God. We can be born again. We can be adopted as God's children. If you notice, that passage I read has got all three members of the Trinity working. Do you see? God's working. The power of the Holy Spirit comes on Mary. And Jesus 
the Son of God, is born. All three members of the Trinity bringing about this amazing plan that leads us to be adopted into God's family. So what are you going to do about this today? We've looked at these three things, these three reasons why Jesus is born to Mary with no human dad, just Mary, son of the father, the history. Listen up, something's happening. And that implies to you, if you're here, what's happening here? God is doing something new. God has done something new. And we need to listen. We need to pay attention. Impossibility. The impossible problem we have with our sin and our relationship with God, well, God has done something impossible to sort that out. And then family. Who does Jesus look like? He looks like his father. He looks like us. And he invites us to join his family, to be adopted into the family of God. Well, this is the miracle of Christmas, the real miracle that this actually happened. There actually was someone called Mary who wasn't married, who was a virgin, and had this baby, and the baby was born. And because of that, we can come to know God. It's an extraordinary miracle. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we just going to let it pass us by? Or are we going to come today to know the living God through his son, the Lord Jesus? We're going to sing a final song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, which reflects on the story As we sing it, I want you to think particularly about the final verse. Because this final verse is a prayer. And it's a prayer that Jesus would come into your heart. I don't know if you've ever asked Jesus into your heart before. But that's what you're going to do if you sing this verse. You're going to ask that this holy child descends to us, casts out our sin and enters into our heart. Are you ready to do that today? Whether you're young or whether you're old, are you ready to ask Jesus to come into your heart, to come and abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel?